seated this morning. Also, want to dismiss our children downstairs. We trust God continues to shape them according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we dive into the message, I figured I'd just address this somewhat head on. Uh, you probably have uh, been praying for Steve Evans and his family and received a text message from us yesterday uh, to pray earnestly for him. Uh, sadly, he did pass yesterday uh, and is now uh, with Christ, which is a wonderful thing to consider. Um, kind of a bittersweet uh, announcement, obviously. Uh, I do want you to continue to pray for Alex, uh, his wife, and their family, and of course for St. Andrew's Church, uh, a small Anglican church on the south side of Syracuse that he affectionately called the greatest Anglican church in the world. Uh, he was a close friend of mine, uh, more uh, so maybe a decade ago as he was uh, one of the original families that helped us plant Catalyst Church in the DeWitt area. Um, so just just a dear brother, Eagles fan, um, but more so than that, um, just an encourager, always encouraging. Uh, he would call me a rock star, and I thought, well, I'm definitely not that. But he just had a way of encouraging uh, others around him. And so uh, we praise God that he has realized his hope, that he is with Christ but we also know the tragedy and the sorrow of losing a father and a husband and a pastor. So let's uh, be in prayer for that congregation. I know Ethan will be praying in the prayer of intercession, uh, so we can wait to pray at that time. But just wanted to update you on that, and thank you for praying. Usually during this time of year, we find ourselves in the opening chapters of a gospel. Right? Why do you think? Somebody knows their Bible here. It's Christmas time-ish, right? And when it's Christmas time-ish, we open up the opening chapters of the Gospel, and we read and preach a narrative. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's fitting, right? That's what we should be doing. Uh, someone recently uh, asked me the question, what was the last time that you preached the opening chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? When's the last time you preached... Matthew chapter 1. And it took me a minute because, as you know, we're in a series in Matthew. Do you know when we started the series? September 8, 2019. We started the book of Matthew. So that means we've been in Matthew for quite some time, doesn't it? I mean, we're only in chapter 17, and it's two and a half change later. But that also means something else. Because if you know anything about the writers of the Gospels, there is a primary concern in mind. And that is those who read the Gospel and interact with it would know the answer to this question. Who is Jesus? So that means for the last two and a half years, we have been asking that primary question together. Who is Jesus. That's what Matthew wants his readers to know. He wants them to know Jesus. Who he really is and what Jesus has done. And of course, what are the implications of that? 
for us. So here we are again this morning. Matthew 17, 22-27. We're asking the same question again. And Matthew is honing in on, zeroing in on this question and answer. Who is Jesus and how does coming to know and trust in Jesus radically change who we are? And then how we live. Matthew 17, 22-27. Please follow along with me. Verse 22 says this, And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And everyone said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray by your Spirit that you would reveal Christ, all of his glory and his perfect work. And may the Spirit deepen within us a profound and growing sense of trust and faith in who he is. Spirit, do your work, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. For the second time in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus foretells his soon death to his disciples. Right? If you look back at Matthew 16, you read it, you'll see a particular emphasis that comes out. He says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer, die, and be raised. There's this emphasis of it's necessary. The Son of Man must endure these things. And now we read this again for the second time. They're gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, the way He talks of Himself, His self-identification. He says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill Him and he will be raised on the third day. A couple things that you don't want to overlook as you read this, now for the second time, this foretelling of his suffering. This phraseology, he's to be delivered into the hands of men. Maybe some sort of uh, uh, association with Judas and his betrayal that was to happen of Jesus. 
where he would be handing them over, one of his own, to the authorities. Maybe that's what's going on with that phrase. Yes, he will be handed over by one of his disciples. And yet we also understand, as we read the Gospels and the greater story of the Bible, that God is at work here. Right? That God is at work. This is God's predetermined plan, and it is also Jesus' words, right? No one takes my life. I lay it down. And so in keeping with the sovereign plan of God and the voluntary sacrificing of himself, Jesus will be delivered into the hands of men. And yet, we see another phrase that we can't miss, that they were greatly distressed. Once again, they hear this. Remember the first time, they're like, no way, Jose. This is not happening. And remember, Jesus gives a, a sharp rebuke to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Right? This can't happen. No way. But in this time, the second time that Jesus foretells his suffering, his death and resurrection, the text tells us that they were greatly distressed. Upon hearing this, it, 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 it did something to their emotional state. They were greatly distressed. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because the reality of death is a devastating thing. But even the idea of it, not just the reality of it, the, the idea of it, the idea of suffering and dying, especially in this way, is a distressing idea. Right? Let's not forget that these aren't just like myths and ideas and concepts as we read the Scriptures. These are people enduring real pain, expecting awful things that would really come about. They're people. They're not robots. They experience life. They have emotions. They have fears. They have hopes and dreams. And everything that they've experienced thus far, this Jesus, who is powerful to do things they never thought possible, to reverse the curse of sin, the one who was clearly to assume the throne as the Messiah, as they were beginning to understand. This was just distressing. It was unimaginable. How could this be? Such a distressing idea that these men with hopes and fears, expectations and emotions to hear that someone they love and respect and value, right? Because people, at the end of the day, it's people that are the greatest gifts that God gives us. Right? People. And to lose someone like Jesus to death, a death like this, would surely be a distressing idea. But the bottom line is this. Jesus will suffer greatly. He will die horrifically. He will rise victoriously. And in the Gospel account, we are in chapter 17. That day is drawing near. So no matter what your response is this morning, intellectually, emotionally, or whatever, this must happen. No matter how you interact with the reality of the cross, 
no matter what you feel or how you deal with it, this must happen. This will happen. And as we understand the story as it plays out, this event, this step, becomes the center point of the good news about Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus says, this must happen. And then He says, this will happen. And as we understand the story, this did happen. And it is the center point. It is central to what the good news about Jesus Christ indeed is. It is no longer in our day He must suffer or He will suffer, but that He did suffer. Right As we recently quoted the Apostles' Creed together, it is central to our conviction about this suffering, death, and resurrection. Right, He says that now He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died and was buried. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. Hear this. Regardless of how your emotions interact with the expectation of His death in the story, hear this. It is the centerpiece of our understanding of the Gospel message. This we proclaim, Paul says, Christ crucified. It's central to our faith. It is the fulcrum of what we understand to be true and a saving reality for us, amen? The Gospel. Christ's death in our place. So no matter how distressing it may be, make no mistake about it. The suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus is central to the message of the Gospel. Hear it. Jesus died. He suffered. He was raised. Amen? So Matthew continues to highlight this in his Gospel. Jesus, the one who will and does suffer, and yet, yet in the story, and so we see Peter is approached by some tax collectors. It's tax day. Yay! Mid-December. It's tax day in mid-December. All the Christmas gifts we're buying. Now we're talking about taxes. It's a rough month. So Peter's approached by some tax collectors. They inquire about Jesus' intention about a specific tax. Right? When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. What is the two drachma tax? What's going on here? Well, first of all, the two drachma tax was not a Roman tax. You've got to understand that. This was Jewish. This was a tax that was rooted all the way back into the story of the Exodus. So if you go back to Exodus chapter 30, you get an idea of what's going on here. That in Exodus chapter 30, we see that every census, a, uh, a, a tax was levied. And it was 
uh, for those who were 20 years old and up, and, and specifically the males. And everyone who was 20 years old and up would have to give a half shekel. And this half shekel would be a ransom payment. I want you to hear that. It was a ransom payment. It was atonement money. Doug Stewart goes on to say that that when they paid this tax, they were, one, acknowledging that their life did not belong to themselves. Their life belonged to God. Remember what happened in Exodus. They were brought out of Egypt, and they were bought at a price. Right? They belonged to God. They were the people of the Lord. And so in paying the tax, they were saying, they were recognizing that their life belonged to God. And also, in that, mo- in that transaction, the paying of the price was also the moment where they bought their life back from God. Now that sounds a little goofy. But in, in, in essence, what was taking place was that God was granting them back their life. It belonged to you. And also, I'm going to grant it back to you. They were His. And in effect, this tax would then support the work of the temple. So this was a Jewish tax. It was not a Roman tax. It was atonement money. It recognized, yes, we belong to you, and our life comes from you. And these resources will be given to support the work of the temple, the sacrificial system. And this tax would be the equivalent of one day's wage. So not an insurmountable amount, but not insignificant either. So when asking the question to Peter, does your teacher not pay the tax? What's going on here? Well, they're basically saying, would Jesus be faithful to do what the law requires? Or even a step further. And is he pro-temple? Does Jesus want to support the work of the temple? Is he going to pay the tax or not? Some think that maybe over time, as this uh, group uh, went on over the life of Israel, they just became voluntary tax. So maybe what's behind that question is, will Jesus willingly voluntarily pay the tax just like we do? Will he support just like we do? Is he not willing? So does he pay the tax or not? Peter simply says yes. We don't really know what's going on there, but for whatever reason, Jesus just answers, or, or Peter just answers in the affirmative. And he goes back into the house. And what does Jesus say? Well, knowing everything. Again, he's seen Jesus. He knows everything. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He's able to see and understand interactions. What happens? He says he came into the house. Jesus spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? When he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Leading question. From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? Peter knows, right? He's, he's got a brain. Right? The, the kings don't take taxes from their kids. They take the taxes 
be subject to the king. Right? Because, yeah, I get it. So they, they take it from others, right? Kings don't collect taxes from their kids. They don't take taxes from subjects, or, or from their sons, but from their subjects. And so seeing the logic of this, Jesus looks at him and says something wonderful that I don't want you to miss. He says, then the sons are free. The, the sons are free from paying the tax. Such a statement implicitly brings clarity to his disciples about his identity. When Jesus speaks of the freedom of the sons, he's pointing to his own identity as the son. I want you to see that. Again, that's what Matthew keeps trying to show us in these accounts. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the son. He's the son of God. He's the son of the king of the temple. That's who Jesus is. And because he is the son, guess what? free. He's exempt. Because the sons don't pay the taxes. Right early on in Matthew 17, right, in this uh, account of the transfiguration, what happens? Right? Peter wants to set up tents. And then the voice from heaven interrupts him and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Are you listening this morning? Are you listening to Jesus himself point to who he is? He's the Son of God. That's who Jesus is. And as the Son, he is free. He's exempt from the tax. He is free from the obligation to pay this tax. He's tax exempt. And what does he do with his freedom? What does he do with his 0.5% raise? Is he plus? I don't think so. Look at what he says. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Remember, the shekel, what was required in Exodus 30 was the half shekel. You're going to find a shekel. For Jesus here, aware of who he is, secure in his identity as the Son, understanding his exemption from the tax. Willingly, voluntarily, freely, almost joyfully, pays it anyway. He willingly, freely, voluntarily pays the tax while under no obligation to do so on the basis of who He is and the freedom He enjoys in relationship to His Father. He does so anyway out of love and concern for others. Imagine that. Imagine being so secure in your identity and aware of your true freedom in relationship to the Father that you're willing to live in such a way to love and serve others, to be considerate of them. That's what he does. And that's exactly what he does for all those who know him. Amen? Listen to this. 
those who listen to Jesus, those who trust in Jesus, those who follow Him, the subjects and the strangers become sons. That is the great hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They become children in the family of God. talks about the highest good of gospel of being adopted into the family of God. Right? The sons are free. Free in God's family. But not just from temple testing. I want you to see the significance of what's taking place. Especially as you understand the backdrop of this text. What's taking place here? What he's saying about himself in the glorious gospel that is all over this passage. But you've got to think, you've got to stop for a minute and think and realize that this is not really about taxes. About being free from taxes. But about being free from something so much more. And understanding the way that Jesus willingly freely, sacrificially, and graciously gives to us. He does so by laying down His own life as an atoning payment. He offers satisfactory payment for the debt that we owe to God for our sin. He pays our ransom. He secures our redemption from slavery. And he brings us into God's family. This is such good news for those who are stuck in sin today. Such good news for those who feel caged in condemnation. Because if we look to and listen to and, and follow and obey, and trust, and rely, and depend upon Christ, who He is as the Son. You are united to Him in His death and resurrection, and you are adopted into the family of God, and you are free from all that the sacrificial system requires, and you just simply rest in the joy of being a part of God's family. Because Jesus willingly freely, voluntarily gave His life for yours. He paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Amen? I want you to see that. I want you to see that when we trust and follow God's Son, that our ransom is paid. And that we're free to live in God's family. Right? Because in paying this miraculously with the fish, he's pulling out the shekel. Right? It was a half shekel. But he gave a whole shekel. Why? Because he paid for himself a debt he didn't owe, an obligation he didn't have. But even more so, he paid for Peter, representing the disciples, representing his payment for all those who know and trust him as Lord and Savior. 
He pays for it. And now, we're exempt. Exempt from all that the law says, right? That we were unable to fulfill. We're exempt from that ceremonial aspect of the law. Christ has paid sufficiently for us. So when we know and trust and follow God's Son, our ransom is paid and we're free to live in God's family. Isn't that a wonderful truth to think about this morning? Such a shift for us from feeling distressed as we think about these things to assurance. That's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus ultimately provides for us. Basis and assurance for our standing before God. That we are free from condemnation. That the payment has been sufficiently paid. And now we are sons and daughters in God's family. Is there a richer blessing than that? Such a shift from distress to assurance. And so I call upon you to see this perfect work of Christ and to rely upon it, depend upon it, rest in it. Turn to no other thing for assurance. And all that we face in this life can can shake us, can rattle us. The day in which we live can, can shake us and rattle us and leave us feeling less assured about things in life that matter. But I want you to hear that nothing matters more than this. And nothing can take this away from you if you know and trust in Christ. You are blessed with adoption. You are blessed to be free in the family of God. I was with my grandfather uh, recently. He's in a nursing home, still testing positive for COVID, still up and down like crazy. And I'm just going to tell you, I was really discouraged. I couldn't talk to him. He wouldn't open his eyes. He looked weak. The room was empty. There wasn't a picture on the wall. Surely the sun's not shining in the window. It's bleak. And I'm just sitting there going, this isn't right. This stinks, actually. That wasn't the actual way I was. But this stinks is what I'm saying here. This is terrible. This man should not be here. He's, he's, he's living a cursed life. And I thought, this is not a healthy way to think about this. I should read the Bible. I need something outside of myself that tells me the truth about things. And so I'm like, well, what do I read in this moment? Well, it happened to be his birthday. He turned 84 years old last Saturday. I said, well, due to lack of creativity today, I'm going to read Psalm 84. He's 84 years old. And you read, how lovely is your dwelling place, the Lord of hosts. My soul longs faints for the courts of the Lord. Better is the day in your presence, right, than, 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 than anywhere else. And finally, this last verse in Psalm 84. O Lord, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And it's just the truth of the Word of God showered over me. And I thought, I'm thinking about this all day. This is a blessing. This man knows Jesus. Yes, everything in this world has been lost, but he 
has Christ and Christ has him. How could I look at this through the eyes of faith in any other way? Blessed is the man who trusts in you. And I say that to you. You may look around the room of your life and say, I don't have anything. There's no pictures on my wall. I don't even have a blanket for this life. And no sun is shining into my window. Everything is hard and difficult. But what I'm telling you this morning is that to trust in Jesus, to know Jesus, you have Christ. You have everything that there is to know and understand and experience blessing because you have Jesus. And part of that blessing is faith. It is faith from the payment we owed because of sin, from the condemnation that we were caged in, Covered by the blood of Jesus. We're accepted in the family. Right? He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But those who did receive him, those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? This is what we know. That when we trust him with three, we become sons and daughters. And more than that, we become heirs. And that's what Christmas is about. Because Galatians 4 tells us that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. To do what? To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, you are heirs through God. Amen? What did, I skipped a bunch there. Just say amen. <laughs> That's what Christmas is about. Let's not lose sight of this. And all of our frustrations because all the PS5s are gone. This is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. It's about the freedom we have in redemption. It's about trusting and resting and relying upon Him as the source of all the blessing that God has for us. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Such assurance for us. To know, listen to, trust, and follow Jesus. Such a shift from to assurance and joy. But not only that, such a shift from self to servant. I want you to hear that. I'd like to go into it deeper, longer, more, but I'm just going to leave it there. Seeing what Jesus does to us, seeing how He expresses His own freedom as the Son, gives us insight into how we live out our own freedom as sons and daughters of the living God. We too can live out our freedom in a way to seek no offense. That causes no motives or frustrations in people that might lead them to sin. We can live out our freedom in a way to love and serve other people. And I wonder if this isn't timely in our day and age. Romans 13.8 We think about obligation. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Right? We're free. We don't have obligation. Owe no 
Galatians 5.13, for you were, ca- you were called to freedom, brothers. Amen? Yes. We're called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Living in lawlessness. Cheapening grace. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. Know who you are today. Rest secured in your identity as beloved children if you know and trust Christ. So as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If we're free, we're free to love. We're free to serve. Amen? Consider how you might do that. Express your freedom by considering how to love and serve others. Think of ways so as to not be an offense. I can't remember the Latin word. I'm sure Ethan would remember. But R.C. Sproul talked about this. Jesus understands that this issue, this tax, is an insignificant matter. Why would I cause conflict or even lead someone to sin over something that is insignificant? It doesn't matter. we do that in our lives? I think of our marriages. I think of church membership and parenting too. How we relate to one another in the body of Christ. Our culture. Society. Can we be people who are free in the sense that we're secure in our identity as children of God? And at the very same time willing to express that freedom in such a way to lay down our rights, to not demand that everyone recognize our exemptions in things, and just love and serve other people. Imagine what kind of light that would do to a world around us. Amen? That's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. To shift from self to service. So who is Jesus? So Matthew wants us to know. We've been seeing a progression here that continues to this point in the same direction. That Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to hear that today. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's been revealed and affirmed by God the Father. As such, we're called to listen to Him. See who He is. Listen to Him. Trust in Him. Follow Jesus. Rely upon His penal substitutionary work once for all on behalf of sinners. And if you do that, you're free. Amen? Because when we trust in Him, when we follow Him, our ransom is paid, and we're free to live in God's family. I hope that that's a simple, reassuring truth for you. In a difficult time, as you walk through and navigate through the complexities of your life, and also as you may find yourself distracted 
into other worldly lesser gifts. There's nothing like Christ. There's nothing like being a part of His family, free and forgiven. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this Word, for this Gospel. We thank You for Christ, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. It is the full, perfect, satisfactory payment for us. And we praise You for setting us free from that obligation and bringing us into Your family. This is the work that You and You alone have done by Your Spirit as we've heard and embraced the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To You receive all the glory. I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know You this morning, has not seen You in all of Your glory, I pray that You would draw them to Yourself. I pray that if there's anybody here who feels stuck in sin and encaged in condemnation, that You would reinforce Your love for them, that You would remind them of Your grace, and that You would help them take hold of the great uh, gift and promise of being a part of Your family. Lord, assure Your people. Strengthen them today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.